This morning we are blessed to have uh, Pastor Joe Savage preaching for us. And Pastor Joe has already been uh, pastoring you this morning because he was able to pass that uh, news on to me so that we could do that this morning. And so uh, more than preach for us this morning, he's uh, given us some pastoral care. And so we very much appreciate that, that just coming in out of town, you're already caring for us. And so uh, Joe needs no introduction. He's been loving this place and serving this place for a very long time. Uh, but if you don't know, uh, Joe is studying pastoral ministry at Mid-America Nazarene University. He's preparing to be a pastor, and whenever he's home, we are blessed to hear what the Lord has laid on his heart. And so uh, this morning, if you would, give a big cross-community welcome to Joe Savage. Well, Merry Christmas. You can always tell by people's expressions when you say that to them, whether they actually enjoy the Christmas season or not. And I can tell on some of your faces which ones of you are still happy to be in this Christmas spirit and which one of you really would just rather be done with the holidays at this point. And so I want to make sure that you know but that this, but Christmas is not just a day in the church calendar. Christmas is a season. It's 12 days, and that's where we get the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. And I don't know how to do math very well, so I didn't count to see which day we're actually on right now. But we are in the midst of the Christmas season, so yes, Deb, Merry Christmas was a very appropriate greeting for us this morning. So I want to show you a little bit, because I know growing up I didn't know a lot of this, and so I don't know if you know a lot, but this is what the church calendar would look like. And so we start every church, every, excuse me, the Christian calendar starts every year with Advent, which always begins four Sundays before Christmas. So this is the season we're just coming out of. And in Advent, we're looking forward with hope and anticipation to the coming of Christ, both his birth back in history and his future coming that we're awaiting. In the, uh, awaiting. And so then we move into the Christmas season, which is where we're at. This is where we celebrate the coming of Christ where we are having a very joyous celebration. So we're singing songs like Joy to the World. And so that is where we find ourselves this morning, is in the midst of the Christmas season. And this continues until January 6th, where we celebrate the coming, the epiphany, the coming of the wise men. So today, I've prepared a joyous and exciting sermon. Well, you can tell me afterwards if that's actually true. But we're going to be celebrating the coming, or we are going to be celebrating Christ's coming into the world. So, if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 3. So we're going to read Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read the first 15 verses. So it's a little bit longer of a passage, but I would still invite you, if you are able to, to stand in honor of the reading of the Lord's Word. Hear the word of the Lord this morning from Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel appeared to him in flames from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my, bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is the word of God for the people of God. And our response is, thanks be to God. So some of you are probably still trying to figure out how this is actually going to be a Christmas message, but I'll get to that later. But first, while you're still awake, I want to get some audience participation. What are some names of God that you know or you have heard from the Bible? Come on. Yahweh. Yes, that's the one that came from the story today. We're going to talk about that one. Yes. Yes, God. Yes, that's that's the first name that we have for God that comes out of the Bible. Elohim. What else? What? Yes, we have that one. God Almighty. Yes. Yes. I forgot what that one means, but let me look at my list. The Lord will provide. See, I got it wrote down, so I won't forget now. Yes, what else? Let's have a few more. I am. Yep, Yahweh. That's the one that came out of our story. Yes, that's another one. I forgot what that one means, too. The Lord who heals. We, we had that this morning. We're praying for Dave because God is a God who heals. Anything else? Jehovah. Yes, simply Lord. That is a good one. So, most of you have seen this, but I grew up in this church. Some of you who don't know that, now you do. I grew up in this church. And so, growing up here, I knew, you know, you'd hear all these names for God. And, you, you know, we used to have, if anybody remembers, we used to put up the banners on the side. They were beautiful. They had all the names of God, different names of God on them. It was awesome. And you could see them and you're like, yes, the God who heals, I can get behind that. God who provides, yep. The God who fights for us. You know, the God who is our shepherd who cares for us, God Most High, God Almighty. I can get behind all those names. And you come to the Bible to this name, I Am. Like, what is that? Like, you know, that doesn't make any sense. You know, you come up to that, just, I Am. And so it never made sense to me. I'm like, this is the dumbest name for God. Like, why is that even there? Honestly, like, it doesn't, it's like when your parents, like when you're trying to do something as a kid, and your parents tell you, because I said so, they won't let you do it. I know, my parents probably did that to me a few times, and I'll probably do that to my kids. But it's like, 
Really? Because you said so. Like, come on, I need more than that. And so just God saying, I am. I never really liked it. It never made sense to me. But recently, as I've been studying and reading and going through a Pentateuch class, I came to this better understanding of what that actually means. And so we're going to look at this. So the name I am, it's literally Yahweh. Yes, a couple people said this this morning. It's, it's Yahweh. I am. And it's what it's literally, that's what it literally translates as, almost. Almost literally translates as I am. And so we translate, that's how it is here. But it could also mean, I will be what I will be. Or, I will do what I will do. Or, I have been what I have been. Because you see, Hebrew grammar is a little bit different than English. And I might need some help from Paula here, but we'll see if I get this right. And it's because I never paid attention in English class as a kid. So, kids, pay attention in English class because it does come in handy later. But you also need to pay attention in math class because that is vital. You'll never lose that either. And so, Hebrew grammar is a little bit different. And so... We look at this and you say, I am. That's something in English that would be present. It's happening now. I am talking, I mean, I'm preaching to you. I am walking around. You know, something that's happening in the moment. Something that past, happened in the past would be, I have done this or I have been that. Something that happens in the future would be, I will do that. Right, Paula? Am I on the right track? Okay. I did. I passed my second grade English class. Yes. Okay. And so, what we have here is it could actually be in the Hebrew any one of those. It could be the past. It could also be the present. It could also be future. So I am the past. I am the present. I am the future tense. It could be any one of those. It could be any combination of any one of those. But most likely, it's all three at once. God is telling Moses, I am in the past. I am in the present. And I am in the future. But it also could be translated as, and I really like this last one, is simply, I exist. I exist is what God says my name is. I exist. You know, I am the healer. I am the provider. I am present with my people. I am the one who makes you people holy. I am shepherding my people, but I simply exist. You cannot define me into any one of those categories because I am every one of those things at once. I simply am God. I exist. I existed before time began and I will continue to exist after time ends. I simply am. I exist. And so I've really come to love this name of God. He is the one who existed throughout all time and cannot be defined by any simple one name. So I want to talk a little bit about what's led up to our story. You know, I always do this every time I preach. I'm going to give you the whole Bible in the sermon. And so we're going to start back here. Genesis chapter 1. God creates the world. Everything in the world God created. Everything was good that God created. Then Genesis chapter 3, man decides we know better than God, and so we sin, and we fall, and we separate ourselves from God. God can no longer interact with us in the same way that he had before because of our sin. Genesis chapter 6, man continues to get more and more wicked, and God says, okay, the time has come, I'm going to pass judgment on the wickedness of man. Not on man himself, but on the wickedness that is in there. And so we had the flood, but God preserves through Noah the righteous, the only righteous person on the earth. God preserves a remnant to continue to care for this creation, to care for the world that He has. And then we keep going to Genesis chapter 12 with the story. Begin the story of the patriarchs. God calls this this old man named Abram and his wife Sarah, who are barren. They have no children. God says, "I will bless you, and I will make you into a great nation." And through the world, I will bless you. I will give you descendants. I will give you land. 
and you will be a blessing to all the world. Now, when you're old and have no kids, it's going to be kind of interesting how you get descendants. Now, you can see how you get land. Usually when you're old, you have a little more money. Sometimes, not always. So you can buy the land. But when you're old and you don't have any kids, there's just no way to get descendants. But God blesses Abram. And when Abram's 100, his wife is 90, they have a child. Don't think too hard about that one. And so, they have their, chi- their first child, Isaac. Isaac has two kids, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob becomes the chosen one through whom God continues the blessing that he promised Abraham of descendants, of land, of being a blessing to the world. Jacob has 12 sons, which is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we're going to fast forward through the next bunch of chapters of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50. We're down in Egypt. Jacob has moved his whole family there because Joseph has preserved the Egyptians. There is food there because of the famine that's throughout all of of their known world at the time. And so Joseph is highly regarded by by the Egyptian pharaoh. He has a place of prominence. And then Jacob dies. They bury him back in Canaan in the tomb of his father with Abraham, Abraham, his father. And then... We're left at the end of the chapter, 70 people, the descendants of Jacob, are now in Egypt. We pick back up in Exodus chapter 1. A new Pharaoh has arisen who doesn't know Joseph. And the Israelites have become so numerous because God is faithful to his promises of blessing. So there's so many descendants, they're so numerous. Pharaoh gets scared, so he thinks he's going to stop them. And he's like, I don't want them to side with their enemies, so I'm going to make them slaves. Now, to me, this is backwards. If I want somebody to not side with my enemies, I'm going to be nice to that person because I want them to like me. If I'm mean to them, of course, they're definitely going to side with my enemies then. And so, but Pharaoh does that and he tries to kill them, tries to kill their sons. But God preserves Moses through that. Moses ends up getting raised in the palace of Pharaoh. And I'm sure God's sitting up in heaven and saying, Ha, take that, Pharaoh. You've got a grandson that's one of the people you're trying to kill. God didn't, probably didn't actually say that, but that's how my mind thinks. And so God is, or Moses is growing up. He's 40, spends 40 years in the palace. At 40 years old, he's out and he's observing what's going on with his people, the Israelites. He ends up killing an Egyptian who was beating an Israelite. He buries his body in the sand. He thinks he's got away with it. Next day, he finds out a lot of people knew. Pharaoh finds out Moses is now on the run. He is now a murdering fugitive. He ends up out in the middle of nowhere in the desert, Midian. He gets married, starts a family. He lives there for 40 years. So Moses is now 80 at the point where we picked up our story. God has appeared to him. This God who simply exists comes down and meets with a murdering fugitive and says, you are the ones through whom I am going to deliver my people. And so that's where we ended up in our story. And to me, what's so amazing about God as God is the one who created the world, he is the most powerful being ever. He has no beginning, he has no ending, but he comes down and meets with us. Because we cannot go up to God, he crosses the distance and he comes down to us. And the other amazing thing is God sees us. He hears us. He knows us, knows what's going on around us. And he comes to deliver us. I'm projecting us into the story because that's where we are. But God is specifically doing that for the Israelites. And in this story, he sees his people. He is literally present and watching over them, keeping a close eye on them. He is preserving them. He is blessing them. They are multiplying beyond 
belief. Even though they cannot see the way God is with them, He is still there. He hears them. He listens to their prayers. He hears their prayers. He hears their cries of suffering because of the oppression they're in in slavery. And He knows the suffering they're going through. He knows the difficulties they have been put through, the struggles they are going through just to survive another day under the brutal slavery of Pharaoh. And of course, he comes to deliver them because of the promise of land. The time is now right to deliver the people and to bring them into the land. But he's also, throughout the whole... I'm going to talk about the rest of the book of Exodus here in a minute. But he comes, and through the rest of the book of Exodus, he shows his people his power, his might, who he is, what kind of God... He is. But he's not just showing the Israelites. The Bible tells us he also shows the Egyptians. The Bible specifically says he is showing the Egyptians and Pharaoh who he is. So now we're going to talk a little bit about the rest of the story of Exodus. And so we come from where we are. Moses goes back to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, God told me to tell you to let my people go three days into the desert to sacrifice. Pharaoh says, you're right. You're not going anywhere. And Pharaoh says, you know what? Because of that, I'm going to make your burden harder. And so Moses goes, well, we tried, God. We're done. But God says, no, go back and do it again. Because this is something I am going to do. Not you. I'm going to do. And so he does. Moses goes back and says, let us go. And then you see the ten plagues that happen. Pharaoh is so stubborn, he does not want to let the people go. His advisors and all his people are begging him, just let them go, because Egypt is laid to waste because of your stubbornness. But he says no, until finally the death of his firstborn happens. And he lets them go. He says, just get out of here, leave. But then he changes his mind. He says, you know what? I want those all those people back and I'm going to go kill them. And so he traps them by the Red Sea the Israelites come to the Red Sea. They've got the Red Sea on one side, mountains on both sides, and Pharaoh's army pursuing behind them. But God is still present among them. He's in their midst. He is guiding them with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of smoke. He's there. And he comes. He builds a wall behind them so Pharaoh's army cannot get forward. He splits the Red Sea. The Israelites get to go through on dry ground because he is there among them. And then he moves on ahead of the Israelites and the Pharaoh's army decides they're going to follow them, which is a great idea. Let's all run into this wall of water. And so what happens is they run straight down the middle. Once everybody's in, their wheels fall off. And then the waters come. And then they're all dead. So what a great kid's story. I think that's in the Precious Moments Bible too. And so that's where they are. But then they come back to the mountain where God met Moses. And they're there. And God comes down and he explains, here is how you keep covenant relationship with me. This is not how you get in, because you are already in. You are my chosen people. You are in my covenant. You are my, in my covenant with me. You are my people. This is how you keep that relationship. That's what all the laws of the Old Testament are about. Not how you get to that point, but how you keep it. How you keep your salvation. Or how, you, how they would keep that relationship, that covenant with God. And they, are, they knew this. And then, a few chapters later, they come to this point. It's called Exodus chapter 32. It's called the great sin or the golden calf incident. They knew all the laws of God. Or not all of them, but they knew what the Ten Commandments at the very least. And they knew some of the other. How do they keep that relationship? But they broke the first few commandments. They created an image, an idol, and they started worshiping it. And God said, I cannot be with these people in the same way because of their sin. But God didn't abandon those people. He was still in their midst. And he was still there. He still desired to be among them. 
And the Israelites realized their sin. They repented. They came back. God was still among them. And then you get to the really boring part of Exodus. I'm not going to lie. Some parts of the Bible are just boring. But they're there for a reason, and they're important. So you can't just skip over them or not read into them. So the last part of Exodus, or just before we get to the golden calf, God is giving Moses, how do you build this tabernacle? And a tabernacle, all it is, is basically, the best way to define it is God's tent. That's where God lives. This is where God meets with his people. And this, and God, who is holy other, who is the most powerful being there is, doesn't put his tent way back away from all the people. No. He comes down. He puts his tent right in the middle of his people. Because that's where God wants to be. In the middle of everything. He wants to be with his people. He wants to be as close to them as he can. So Israelites camp three tribes on each side around the tabernacle because that's where God's presence came down to meet with them. He was there in their midst. That's the kind of God we serve. And so, you're asking the question now, how on earth does this relate to Christmas? I'm so glad you asked that question because that's where we're going to go next. You see, the God who was in the Exodus, the God who created the world, the God who brought the people out, the God who desires to dwell in the midst of his people is the same God who came down and was in that manger. That's the God we celebrate coming into the world. He is still there. There is absolutely no difference between the God of the Exodus and the God who came down in Jesus Christ, who reveals himself to the world. The one who simply exists, the all-powerful creator, holy other, holy above all, wants to be and dwell in our midst, and so he did that. He took on our flesh and became one of us. Because he wants the whole world to be able to come to him and to be in relationship with him. Jesus came to show us how to live into that right relationship with God. He came to make a way for us, the outsiders, to come in to be a part of that chosen people because that's what God wants. We come and become part of that chosen people through adoption, but we can't stop there. We have to continue to follow the the regulations God has prescribed. Now, we don't have to follow the letter of the law of the Old Testament, but we have to follow the truths, the timeless truths that are there that still apply. So we cannot disregard the Old Testament because Jesus said, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to show you this is how you keep that covenant relationship with you, with God. I am the perfect representation of God the Father. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And he also was a perfect human because he lived with no sin before God. So he gave us the perfect example of how to keep relationship. This is how you do it. Jesus was fully God and fully man. We know this from John chapter 1. You still have your Bibles. You can turn there if you'd like. The first five verses, some of them are right up there on that banner. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God at the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word, in case you don't know, is another way that John refers to Jesus. Jesus was there in the beginning. He is co-eternal with the Father. He has no beginning. He has no end. But He came down into our midst to be with us. And then John, I love John chapter 1, verse 14. 
The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who comes, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. It's interesting, that word dwelling, or sometimes it's translated dwelt among us. Another way they should, could translate is he tabernacled among us. So he was in our midst, just like the tabernacle was built in the midst of the Israelites. He came down and tabernacled in the flesh and became one of us and lived and met with us through that. He was there. This is the same God. He was literally among us. He came to be in our midst. He came to teach us. He came to correct us. He came to rebuke us. He came to love us. And most importantly, he came to show us a better picture of God. Because back then they had the picture distorted. Pastor Jeff talked about these last week. He talked about the Sadducees who tried to manipulate the system to put themselves into power. He talked about the Pharisees who were so strict you had to keep every letter of the law. If we could peek it perfectly for just one day, then we, the Messiah, would come, everything would be made right, and we would be in charge, and those dirty Romans would be out of here. And then you had the Essenes he talked about who had to get away from everybody. But that's not where God wants his people to be, and that's not where God desires to be. He wants to be in the midst. So they had it wrong too. But there was one group he didn't talk about. There was a group called the Zealots. The Zealots are better known, or not better known, but another way to talk about them is they are rebels. They were going to take what they wanted by violence. They were going to fight their way into power. They were going to get rid of the Romans by fighting against them. But that's not how God wanted to bring us into power. Or wanted, excuse me, wanted to put, wanted to show the world how to use power. He came down and he showed us how to love in a new way. He showed us that yes, the law is important. You need to keep the law. But it's not just about keeping the letter of the law. It's keeping the heart of the law. And Jesus, when he sums up the two greatest commandments, both of those commandments are found in the Old Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And you shall also love your neighbor as yourself. When you're doing that, you are being God in the world. He experienced everything that humans have experienced, yet lived without sin. So he is able to help us and be with us whenever we are tempted, because he was tempted in every way. And he wants us to draw nearer to the Father every day and desires for us to follow his perfect example better every day. So that's how we, that's how they relate, that's how the story in Exodus relates to Christmas. God wants to be among his people. So I want to leave you with just a couple questions today. The first one, what are some ways you desire to grow closer to the Almighty God who dwells in our midst and comes down to us throughout this next year? And the other question is, are the things you are doing are the things that you are doing drawing you closer to God or pulling you further away from God? We're going to have some music playing at this time. And at the end of each row, there should be some little 3 by 5 note cards. I have some more up front if we need more. I want everybody to take one of these and write on them. What I want you to do is on one side of the note card, I want you to write down a new habit or discipline. And this is the work of the Spirit because I had no idea that's the next series you're going into. Pastor Jeff didn't tell me that. So this is all from the Holy Spirit. 
I want you to write down something like a new habit or a new discipline that you desire. Or something you need to give up or something you need to add into your life to help you draw closer to God. For me, one of the things I want to do is I want to spend more time in just dedicated prayer to God. So that's something that's on my card. So I'll give you a few minutes or a minute or so to write it down. You can write down more than one if you'd like. I've got a few on my card. On the other side, I want you to flip it over. I want you to write something specific and tangible about how you're going to achieve the goal you wrote on the other side. So for me, when my prayer, I'm going to set aside 10 minutes every morning right when I get up and 10 minutes right before I go to bed that are specifically devoted to prayer. The only thing I'm going to do during that time is pray. So on the other side, I want you to write something specific and tangible. So if one of the things is you want to read the Bible, don't say on the other side, I'm going to read the Bible every day. Say something like, I'm going to read a chapter from the New Testament, Old Testament, and a psalm every day. Something along those lines. I want something specific and tangible. How is this going to be carried out? If we're being honest... Probably all of us are going to fail in the first month. And if you're like me, you'll fail within the first week or maybe even the first day. But just because you fail once doesn't mean you quit. You recognize, okay, I missed one day or I missed one time slot where I was going to... So for me to be like, I missed one time where I was going to pray or I only spent five minutes. I wanted to spend more. Be like, okay... You know, God, help me, help me to set aside better time. You know, you recognize your failure. Pray. Pick yourself up and keep going. Don't quit. That's what too often happens is we, we start to do something and we fail and we quit. I know I am very guilty of that, so I'm also talking to myself here. But God knows that you're going to fail because you're human. But God wants you to recognize your failure and continue to draw closer to Him. The question is not, are you doing it perfectly? The question is, are you drawing closer to God with what you're doing every day? And I also would encourage you, if you feel comfortable, share these goals with your spouse or with a trusted friend and ask them to help hold you accountable to some of those goals that you've written down. So somebody, you know, ask you, you know, how's your Bible reading going? Are you doing your chapters? How's your prayer life doing? Are you are you praying during that time when you said you were going to? So now, let us come to a time of prayer. Our Almighty God, we thank you for, just for you, for coming down and for meeting with us. We thank you, God, that you are not a God who sits in heaven and is far off and is distant from your people. But we thank you that you are a God who comes down, who meets with us, who sees us, who hears us, who knows us, and who has come to deliver us. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you would help each of us who have written down something on the card to hold to that discipline, hold to that thing that we need to draw closer to you or to eliminate something that is holding us back from drawing closer to you, Lord. I ask that you would give us strength, help us to be held accountable, Lord. Help us to persevere even though sometimes we will fail. Lord, I ask that you would draw us nearer to you every day. And if there's anybody here who doesn't recognize you, Lord. I ask that you would help them this year to come into a new knowledge of you, to draw closer to you, even just to take one step towards drawing closer to you, Lord. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, your one and only Son. Amen. Now, would you please stand for the final blessing. Now, may the God, the one who simply exists, who is above all Overall, in all, and through all, 
be with you as you go throughout this new year. May he strengthen you and use what you wrote on your card to draw you closer to him every day through the power of his Holy Spirit. And he who is faithful, he will do it. In the name of the Father who is above us, the Son who is for us, and the Spirit who is in us, go in peace. Merry Christmas and have a blessed new year.